Come now, you smart people. Weep and wail for the miseries that are coming to you. Your wits have rotted, and your uh, intelligence is moth-eaten. Your, your uh, books and your learning have rusted, wasted away as evidence against you. <clears throat> for you have laid up treasure for the last days. Listen, the voices of those your intelligence could have helped cries out. Let me read it again. Come now, you who eat well. Weep and wail for the miseries that are coming to you. Your food has rotted and gotten moldy. I'll skip ahead a little bit. The voices of those your food could have helped cry out against you. Now I'll read the real one. <laughs> Come now, you rich people. Weep and wail for the miseries that are coming to you. Your riches have rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted and their rust will be evidence against you and you will eat and will eat your flesh like fire. Sometimes I'm really glad that James's book is only five chapters long. <laughs> uh, you have laid up treasure for the last days. Listen, the wages of the laborers you who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous one who does not resist you. Uh, James, as I'll remind you, we're, we're going, through, going through this book, which means we don't get to skip anything, even the stuff that's really hard, which is kind of the reason we, we, we go through books around here um, as often as, as we can. The, uh, <clears throat> the point of this series is to talk about two different paths Right, that, that the people who James is writing to are, are tempted to follow Jesus in ways that do not lead to Jesus. Right? One of the ways that, that's famous is they're, they're tempted to follow Jesus by putting their faith in him but not their works. Well, that path does not lead to Jesus right? because faith without works is dead. They are tempted to follow Jesus by showing favoritism to those who are well-dressed. Right? That path is not the one that follows Christ. And so this book, over and over again, is about these two different paths that, that look differently depending on the, the circumstances. But generally speaking, James speaks of one that leads to Jesus and one that does not. Today's uh, subject is money, riches, wealth, resources. That there is a way to use those things um, that I apparently some rich folks in the community that James is, is writing to, uh, they have decided to, to follow Jesus in a way that does not lead to him, that does not follow in his footsteps with their wealth, with their riches. So uh, I started out that way just because I wanted to kind of ask you to think about this, because my sense is, that not too many of us in this room fit this type of person. 
right? You, you may not be a person of great monetary wealth, but you may be a person of great intellect. And it would be a shame if you let your intellect serve you and you only. You may be a person of, of fantastic cooking who always has a lot of food in your home. And it would be a shame if someone went hungry um, when you could keep them from going hungry. And so as we go through this, we are going to talk about money, but I, I ask you to keep that in your, in your head and, and uh, maybe the Spirit of God will, will convict you on something that's not so much about wealth. But we are going to talk about that because that is what it's about. And I just want to start with this, uh, this question, two questions. Is your heart shaped by your money or is your money shaped by your Jesus-following heart? This is something I've done a ton of study on in my life, the subject of money, because almost every sermon I ever heard growing up when we got to these really hard passages about money was uh, not taken literally, right? Almost every sermon I ever heard growing up, we, we spiritualized the riches um, so that in my experience, it felt as if the church's understanding of the Bible and money was very lax, if almost non-existent. That the, the teaching of the church when it came to money was give money to the church 10%. And that was our teaching about money, everything else. It was like the 10% is an excuse for you to now go and do whatever you, whatever you, whatever pleases you with the rest. And I could not reconcile that with what Jesus teaches. And I could not reconcile that with what this passage in James says. Clearly, the Bible has a lot of things to say about money. And I think the heart of that is goes back to something Jesus says. You cannot serve two masters. right? You'll either serve the one and hate the other. Or vice versa. And so you cannot serve both God and money. And so what leads us along when it comes to money? Because we all do think about money. Maybe it's intellect is, is, is your great resource. But we all think about money. Right? So what leads you in that thought process? What leads us as a church? Actually, uh, the very first thing I want to talk about here, uh, the next thing I want to talk about is... What leads us as a church when we're talking about money and we're thinking about money? Because that also often gets lost. We're very happy to quote Malachi 3. Pastors are very hope, are very willing to quote Malachi chapter 3 and say, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And then we neglect to remember what the Bible says we ought to do with that tithe. right? Because um, it has stipulations of what the Israelites were supposed to do with the tithe. And I never, I heard sermons on Malachi 3, chapter, or 3, verse 10, over and over and over and over again as a kid. And I'm not saying, my pastors were not greedy. It's just that I always felt like it lacked, right? Um, so we preach over and over again on Malachi 3, 10, bring the whole, the whole tithe into the storehouse. And I don't remember a single time, a single sermon in my growing up or even in my adult life, on Deuteronomy chapter 14, where it tells the Israelites, this is what you've got to do with your tithe, with the money that you collect. Not one time do I ever remember that. 
So uh, what's leading you along when you think about money? When you make a big purchase, what's shaping that decision? We have all sorts of Christian language that we can use. We can say that God put it on my heart, right? And then it's like that just if we, we sometimes, sometimes use that to justify whatever we want, <laughs> right? Like, well, the, the Spirit told me to do this. Really? Anyway, um, so I want to I ask, I want you to have this question in your mind. Is your heart shaped by your money or is your money shaped by your Jesus following heart? When I was in uh, Jamaica, I knew this, this teenage boy named Sanjay. And uh, Sanjay was impoverished in a way that it was very different than the kind of poverty we find in the United States. Um, because they, they worked and they still didn't have enough food, right? Typically, we have a lot of scenarios in this world where if you have a job, typically all your basic needs can be taken care of. Typically. So Sanjay's family worked and they still didn't have enough food to put on the table at the end of the week or at the end of the month. And Sanjay's life, he's 16 years old, and I, he, he clung to me for the week that we worked in, in his, uh, on his home because we built, built him and his family a, a toilet and a sewer. And uh, he just talked to me every day for, and he would follow us. It was like four, a four mile hike to get to his house, and he would walk back with us and he talked to me the whole way and Sanjay's guiding principle in life was uh how to get his hand on a cell phone and how to get out of Jamaica and move to the United States which to him was the land flowing with uh with money and I got so depressed talking to Sanjay because the world around him had convinced him that what was good in the world that what could solve all of his problems was money. And I felt very dissatisfied trying to convince him that that was not what made him valuable or would make him valuable. I would tell him all the time. Every day I was telling him, you got this gift, you got that gift, your mother loves you, you got great siblings. And it just felt like it didn't make a dent. It was one of those seeds that I planted in life that I just had to leave um, and trust that God would do something with. One time, I, uh, my parents are here today, so they'll get a kick out of this story. I'll give you an example of me letting money shape my heart instead of uh, my Jesus-following heart shaping my money. Uh, <clears throat> when I was a junior in college, my truck broke down, and I, I like got out of my truck. It started to smoke on this, uh, this intersection, and it wouldn't move. And I, I had just fixed the exact thing that broke down, and I got out, and I started to hit it you know, on the hood. And uh, so the next weekend I, I went home and, and convinced my parents to co-sign on a loan for me. And uh, I was like, I had my car picked out, right? I like, I knew I was going to get little car, got good gas mileage, as low of a payment as possible. And, uh, and that, that would be that. And so I, I go and you know how they, it, it goes with used car salesmen. And uh, before I knew it, I was talking to this guy and, uh, <clears throat> And he brought like we were in the, the like showroom 
and uh, and I had already kind of picked out a car in the lot, and and he pulls in this freshly cleaned and waxed and like wheels and uh, hubcaps um, armor-alled and such, and uh, it's this shiny Jeep Grand Cherokee that was about five thousand dollars more expensive than what I should have spent on a car. And he's like, somebody else is going to look at this, but this is your shot if you if you want this car. And so I spent the next hour and a half talking to my parents and letting me get that thing that I did not need, that did not serve any good purpose, uh, <clears throat> that I – but my eyes got about as big as watermelons looking at that thing. And I just kept thinking literally – and this is the crazy thing. I knew. I should have known because the thought that went through my head – was not anything about the car. It was about what other people would think about me driving that car. So anyway, I bought the car, and then I had to sell it like eight months later. Um, so <laughs> I was really lucky that I was able to sell it within $10 of how much I owed on it. So, And then I didn't have a car for a, a while, like a year. Anyway, this happens. It happens to all of us. But I think my bigger question that gets raised out of this is what is the purpose of wealth? What is the purpose of money? So we're going to start with the church, right? With tithing, giving money to the church, offering money to the church. What should the church do with that? What should the church see as the purpose of the money that we collect? So this is from Deuteronomy chapter 14. Set apart a tithe of all the yield of your seed that is brought in yearly from the field. In the presence of the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose as a dwelling for his name, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, your wine, your oil, as well as the firstlings of your herd and flock, so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. God wants us to fear him by throwing a party in his presence. <laughs> Did you get that? Take all the tithe. And eat it. But if when the Lord your God has blessed you, the distance is so great that you are unable to transport it because the place where the Lord your God will choose to set his name is too far away from you, then you may turn it into money. With the money secure in hand, go to the place that the Lord your God will choose. Spend the money for whatever you wish, oxen, sheep, wine, strong drink, or whatever you desire, and you shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your household rejoicing together. So if you live too far away, turn your stuff into money so you don't have to take the goats through the wilderness to get to Jerusalem. But he's still, when you get to Jerusalem, buy whatever you need to have a rejoicing party with your family in front of the presence of the Lord. As for the Levites resident in your town, do not neglect them because they have no allotment or inheritance with you. So also part of the tithe is to care for the priests, care for, for the Levites who don't have, they don't work with their hands. Then every third year you shall bring out the full tithe of your produce for that year and store it within your towns. The Levites, because they have no allotment or inheritance uh, with you, as well as the resident aliens, the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows in your towns may come and eat their fill, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work that you undertake. So one-third of it 
Every three years, the party uh, must be given for and with those who don't have the ability to, to throw the party for themselves. So when, when, when we pray for God to use our tithes and our offerings, we ought to be, because I think Jesus, Jesus does all this stuff, right? Paul doesn't ever say, don't do these things. So that the money given to the church is, is, is supposed to be used for us to have a stronger community and for us to uh, care for widows, orphans, strangers, foreigners, anybody who doesn't have allotment of their own. Right, so that when things, uh, when our, our budget was really, really tight um, a few years ago, I mean really, 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 really tight, like I and our leadership refused to, to lower our budget for Simple Supper. Right, no matter what it took, we were going to make sure that we were doing that. Because that is part of what we are required, I would say we are required to do with our resources as a church. It doesn't have to be Simple Supper, but we do have to do that. Right, so um, as a pastor, I think about this when I stand up here and I and I because I you know once a month every other month I get to be the one who prays over our tithes and offerings. This is in my heart and in my mind that we would not be a church who fattens our own hearts, as James puts it. Right, that the the money would not just be about us, not be about building bigger buildings, would not be about uh, you, you know a, a more fancy pulpit or a uh, whatever. Whatever fanciness you could add, I know you could add a lot of fanciness to our building. It also doesn't mean that we shouldn't take care of our building. We do need a place in which to celebrate God and his goodness among us. So I ask you to keep this on your mind and heart. Hold us accountable. That this would be a place where we use our wealth in the way that God has said to use it. It's not up to, we don't have a finance team because it's up to them to decide how to use the money that you give to the church. We have a finance team so that we have people who will hold us accountable to using the money to the way that we think God says we ought to use it. That it will make us stronger together and it will make us a light in our neighborhood and a light for those who need, um, who have no allotment for themselves, as the book of Deuteronomy puts it. So we cannot be a place where we fatten our own hearts. We have to have this balance. <clears throat> Another example, this is more individual, I suppose, uh, that I think is really powerful, um, comes from John the Baptist, who would have loved the letter of James. <laughs> his, his preaching is, a, is about as, uh, as soft as James's preaching. <clears throat> so John said to the crowds that came out to be, I just, this, this is like my favorite line in all of scripture, right? He's got people just coming out, and, and his first response to them coming out is, why did you come out here? 
And he says it very tactfully. You brood of vipers. Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? He's like, ah, oh, shucks. <laughs> a very soft guy. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. In other words, he's saying, don't, don't just come out here and be dipped in the water. Bear fruit. Do something with, with this repentance that you're offering to God. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So God is not going to look at your associations when it comes time. Uh, for judgment. When it comes time to stand before God, God is not going to say, well, you were, uh, you were a member of this church and the church was really good. So I'm going to, I'm going to take care of you based on that. He's he's not going to look at the people of Israel and say, you're a member of Israel. So you're, you're a descendant of Abraham. So there, because repentance, allegiance to God, I would always, I'm always going to argue that repentance is about turning around, giving, taking away your allegiance from something else, and putting your full allegiance into Christ, into God. It has to bear fruit. It has to be something that changes the way we live. And so that raises a very practical, very good question, right? So the crowds asked him, what then should we do? Excellent question. How often it is it not asked? Uh, in reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. What? <laughs> Even tax collectors came to him uh, to be baptized and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? He said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? He said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and be satisfied with your wages. So what's the purpose of money for the church? The purpose of money is to, to celebrate the goodness of God by being stronger together, having fellowship together. And also to uh, care for those who have no allotment of their own. What is the purpose of your personal stuff? Right? What, I mean, generally speaking, what is the purpose of a coat? You can actually answer if you'd like. To keep you warm. So how, if you have a coat sitting unused forever in a closet, is it serving its purpose of keeping something warm? You have a very happy coat hanger, right? It's very simply put, if it's sitting there unused and it has a purpose, let it use, let it um, be put to that purpose. I would encourage us all to ask over and over again of everything you have in your home, whether it's four things or 400 things or 400,000 things, what is the purpose of that thing? Is it 
being used to that purpose? Is it meeting only your needs? Can it be shared to meet others' needs? This is something that weighs heavy on my heart um, when I when I make a big purchase, especially. I feel the Spirit of God really convict me. Am I using, am I, do I have plans for this thing to bear fruit? You know, when we when we bought our first house, it was a really big question. We're making this gigantic purchase to which we will be slaves to a bank for the next 30 years. Um, how will it bear fruit? How, what is the purpose of a home and how can we use it to not just to meet our purpose, our need for shelter, our need for a place to, to be together, to build relationships with each other? How can we use it to benefit others? How can we make sure that our home bears fruit, that it lives into its purpose? So I encourage you to ask this kind of question about everything. Will you, well, again, whether you've got four things, 400 things, 400,000 things, what is the purpose and how can it bear fruit in your life and in the life of others? I, I want to make a point that is somewhat of an aside, somewhat unrelated to some of these, some of these things. Um, but I think it's just crucial because money mentorship in the church doesn't really happen. Right? Because we're terrified of talking about it. Um, or when we talk about it, we talk about it in ways that we don't want to be judged. So we kind of we make this like verbal uh, protective case for our money, right? We, we're like, I, I, I prayed about this, and so I use my money this way. So therefore, don't question me or ask about it at all. Don't challenge me in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> I just want to tell you first that I already prayed about it, so you don't have to. We don't have to have a hard conversation about it. And yet, any kind of thing like that, if we if we don't allow ourselves to be mentored by someone, um, I think that's really dangerous. I want to show you why. Uh, the other day, a couple of weeks ago, actually, Elliot came up to me and, and he loves to ask me to draw things, and I love to draw things for him. So uh, it's, a, it's a great relationship. So one day he came up to me and he said, draw Spider-Man for me. And, and so I grabbed a pen and, and some paper, and this is what came out of me. Um, that was Spider-Man. And he was, he was very concerned because uh, that, that doesn't look like Spider-Man, Daddy. <clears throat> um, like there's something really wrong with this Spider-Man. So I got, I got on the internet and I got it up on my computer and I got a picture of Spider-Man and, uh, and I, cause you know, for those of us who like to draw, but who are not necessarily gifted at drawing, it's helpful. One of the first things you do in a class, for instance, is you have a model, right? And you, you try to draw the model cause it's a lot helpful, more helpful. You can get the lines, right? So, uh, looking at a model of Spider-Man, this is what I drew, <clears throat> right? Uh, slightly better there. It's the same thing in life, right? Well, left to our own, like just draw whatever you, whatever you want, um, however you want. It comes out looking like goop sometimes. I mean, Paul talks about be imitators, right? Um, we have we have a great opportunity when it comes to something like money. Yeah, it has a, whatever that other thing is, maybe 
that, that you have a great resource in that intellect and encouragement, whatever that other thing is, that in the hands of a mentoring relationship with a Christian who also has that gift, who's learned to use it really well, can be sharpened and can get better. And the lines can start to look closer to the lines that Jesus sketched for us. Right? When we begin to model our life after someone who maybe knows a little more, not necessarily older than us, someone maybe with a little more experience, with a little more uh, experience of devoting something, laying something at Jesus' feet, we can begin to have our lines, the shading in of those lines, the colors of those of this picture, look a little closer to what Jesus sketched for us. Because there are all sorts of money ministries out there, right? Money ministries is what they're called. And what concerns me sometimes is that the the aim of those money ministries does not always seem to me to be the same aim as Jesus' aim for money or as James' aim for money. And so I think if we could just get into this room, right, and you've got some people who have learned to devote their resources to Jesus, whatever, however humble those resources are, there is great wisdom for following Jesus with money and with intellect and with encouragement and with uh, humility and with um, whatever else in this room. There's great wisdom around you. You need only seek it out. Because we're not intended to be left on our own. This this Christian walk, you are integrated into a body of other Christians. Right? That uh, the point of calling it a body is to illustrate to you that you are useful to the rest of the body. You are a hand. What is the purpose of a hand? To do a whole lot of things that keep the rest of the body alive. And so your gifts, whether it be, maybe it is financial gifts, intellect, prophecy, um, encouragement, preaching, teaching, all these things that Paul lists as these gifts that we can offer, those things can bear fruit and be beneficial to the rest of the church. So I encourage you. To, uh, to seek out, ask questions of someone you respect in this particular area, whatever the area that's churning in your heart and soul is. And finally, I just want to read. Uh, <clears throat> I just want to read from, from Jesus' words in Matthew 6 about uh, striving. That's kind of my final point today. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. (laughs) That's easier said than done. Um, Like, I I hardly ever worry about anything that's not related to my life. (laughs) What you will eat or what you will drink or, or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more valued, valuable than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. 
Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we, what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. Indeed, your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But strive for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow, tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's troubles, trouble is enough for today. When you think about money, is what leading you along, is it how to get more of it? Or is it how to use it for the kingdom? When you think about your gifts, do you think about how to get better at those things? Or do you think about how to better use those things to benefit the people around you? When you think about your, your coat, do you think about how to get another coat? Or do you think about how to use that coat to bear fruit by using it for its purpose? Do we strive to add unto ourselves, to fatten our hearts, as James puts it? Or do we strive to take everything we have and lay it all at his feet for his purposes? That is the essence, I think, of this stuff from James, is that these rich folk have taken their riches and they have defrauded people who they owed money to. They have made their wealth about themselves. They have strived for their wealth. There are other rich people in scripture and in church history who have given their wealth for the sake of producing fruit in the world. They have laid their wealth at his feet and for his purposes. There are those of us who would waste our intellect on ourselves. And there are those of us who would lay it at his feet for his purposes and see it used to benefit the world. There are those of us who would uh, keep a coat from doing its rightful job just because we like the idea of having it where it is. And there are those of us who would feel the churning of the spirit to say, give it away. So the goal is to lay it all at his feet for his purposes. Every ounce, every ounce of our church, every screw, every light bulb, every thread of carpet, every cent in our bank account, every word, every thought, every perspective, every event that we plan, every morsel of food that we cook, our kitchen, our tables, our chairs, all devoted to him and his purposes. Everything. So that we strive for the kingdom. Strive for the kingdom. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father,
God let it never be said of us with any accuracy that when people were in need, we chose to fatten our own hearts. God, as we each look at what we might have to offer to you and to your kingdom, we pray that you would encourage us and remind us of your joy in us. And that you are good, that when we lay things at your feet, it's not like you're there to take it away from us and to chastise us, but that you are there to encourage us and to show us the joy of laying things at your feet. God, may your spirit stir up in each and every one of us ways that every ounce of our life can be used to benefit the work that you are doing in the world. God, may your spirit convict this church over and over and over and over again with how we ought to use our money, how we ought to use our building, how we ought to use our events and our voice. We praise you, Lord, and we adore you, and we thank you for the life and the liberty and the freedom that comes from striving after you and not after the superficialities of the world. God, all those things that would lead us on that are not associated with you, every addiction, every um, relationship, every temptation towards wealth and glory and pride, God, may you cut those things off and teach us, teach us how to bear fruit that is in accordance with our repentance, with our allegiance to you. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.